Welcome to Therapist Uncensored, a podcast where therapists freely speak their minds about real life matters. Hi, I'm Ann Kelly. I'm Patty Allwell. And I'm Sue Marriott. And we have a question for you all. Have any of you ever fallen in love with your therapist? Or wanted to kill them? Have sex with them? (laughs) (laughs) Go go home with them, maybe? Like, you know, get packed in a bag and be tucked in and... Right. Or stop out the door and never see them again. Right. Flip them off. (laughs) Many of you out there have written to us and said that you wanted to talk about the relationship between a psychotherapist and a client. And it's a really, or it can be a really intimate relationship with a lot of big feelings. Mm -hmm, Definitely. That's right. I mean, there's a, there's the potential for harm because of the power differential and the relationship. And there's also the potential for the most incredible neural sculpting and mind change and brain change that can happen. Right. I was reading the other day that when you think about the therapist you're choosing, understand that you will be changed by this relationship and hopefully it's a positive change, but whatever it is, it will be different based on which therapist you choose, because every attachment relationship is individual and is unique. Well, and the other side of that is as therapists, we're also shaped and influenced, and I would even say permanently changed when we attach to our clients and when we are exposed to the traumas, to the trials, to the tribulations that we really take that in. And that also, it's a mutual sculpting back and forth. Makes me think about the mutual exchange back and forth as we talk about in parenting. There's, there's a lot of overlap in that kind of engagement. Totally. And, and the old model of psychotherapy, the analytic model, is that that wasn't the case, that the therapist was a flat, neutral subject and that everything that happened was interpreted as because of the client. And they, they didn't take into effect that a flat-faced, neutral therapist might be actually influencing what's happening. Right, right. And the truth of the matter is that as they've studied all kinds of psychotherapy, the healing agent is really the relationship. Right. It's not just unidirectional. It's absolutely the relationship. A lot of times some people say, how do you pick a therapist? And one of my first recommendations is is go talk to several of them and listen to your body when you're in there. You know, one of the things I say is you can know a no very quickly. You can probably know a no in a phone call, but knowing a yes is a little bit more complicated. It takes a little longer. Right. So What do you do if you're having all these complicated feelings? If you're feeling love, desire, anger, hatred, disappointment. So for a lot of people, feeling all that about a therapist is really sort of embarrassing or shaming. And many years ago when I started therapy and I wasn't a therapist, I started having all those feelings about my therapist and I was really sort of ashamed and felt sort of foolish. And I ran into a book. It's an old book. It's called The General Theory of Love. And it was so important to me because it normalized my feelings. It explained that not only was it normal for people to feel that, that maybe that was part of what I needed to have healing with my therapist. The real beauty and the interesting thing I think about therapy is they talk about it 
like a child with a wooden spoon, right? Like a mixing spoon. And that spoon can be a drumstick. It can be a sword. It can be a vehicle to eat things. It can feed you. It can feed you. So that the each individual relationship is super unique. And so part of what happened, it sounds like for you, Patty, is that whatever the experiences were that you needed to be filled, once you got in a safe enough environment, then those things are the things that began to come up. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so one of the things that I want to stress when people are having these feelings is understand this is normal. It's not really anything to be ashamed of, but telling you that probably isn't enough. So what do you do next? Well, one of the most important things is like, I love what you're saying is, is to know that it's normal and not only normal, really healthy. And many people go into therapy needing to learn how to tap into the feelings that they're having in their body and learning how to express them and doing it in a safe environment. And so as you go along talking about them and expressing them to the therapist and working them out together. And a lot of people feel like they have to know why they're having the feelings before they express it. And it's so important to know that it's not the why. It's that you get to express it and just have the feelings and then allow the process to happen between the two of you. Exactly, because part of what's happening is that in this hopefully safe enough container, And one of the jobs of a therapist is to be very clear with boundaries, time, space, things like that, so that the things that come up and emerge in the relationship that we can begin to put together. The way I think of it is that, you know, we've talked on this podcast about the brain science and the therapist is the hippocampus for the client, meaning that, you know, the little seahorses inside your mind that we begin to notice nonverbal behavior themes and conversation, and we begin to try to help put it together. But the other side of that is that it can be a somewhat regressive experience, meaning that you don't mean to, but you all of a sudden are crying, or you're all of a sudden, like you're saying, Patty, begin to feel dependent or needy or things that you have formally disowned. Well, that's a discovery related to kind of the more primitive areas of the brain, and it helps expose what is needed. Right. And if you find yourself with a therapist who isn't willing to help you with this, then that's good information. Maybe this isn't a good fit. You know, it's funny because sometimes CBT therapists think that what they're there doing is teaching clients behavior. But even in that kind of therapy, it doesn't work unless the relationship works. So... I mean, I love what you're saying, but it's also so complicated because sometimes when we begin to feel safer with a therapist, instead of just being a cat and getting in our lap, it's actually a threatening experience to feel safe. And especially if you have a trauma history, you can begin to feel injured or very reactive to your therapist. So maybe we should talk about how do you discern when that is the really good, normal therapeutic process where you're beginning to get to some of the old material and you're working it through versus when there's actual harm being happening in the live adult relationship now. Because both can happen. But yeah. Absolutely. And when you're in them and when you're immersed in it, it's going to be really hard to tell the difference. Right. And I loved one of the things you said in our last podcast about bringing forward information enough information, but not feeling re-traumatized. So you don't want to reenact 
the horrible relationship you had with your mother, with your therapist. But you might want it's some... It's also sort of inevitable, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> right. To a certain degree, right? But the idea is to have a different outcome. Therapy is about, you know, maybe having a conflict with your therapist. And guess what? Neither of you resorted to physical violence. Neither of you Iced severed the... the other one. <laughs> right. Or severed the relationship or walked out that there was the idea that the relationship could handle that. Yeah, that's the working through. Yes. So one of the signs is we're talking about how do you tell the distinction? One is that there is an openness and willingness to talk through, not in a perfect way. It's, it doesn't mean that a therapist never gets activated or never gets reactive because that wouldn't be human. We're all human in the relationship, but it's about being able to feel safe enough that you know you can talk through it. And even though you might at that moment feel a great deal of alarm and threat, there's that part of you that knows that you can continue to talk through it and your therapist is opening for that. Right. And I want to point out, we aren't just suggesting you go to therapy and feel a lot of bad stuff about your therapist. Right. This is actually like an arrow pointing towards work you have to do, things that are interfering with your life as an adult. So yes, there may be discomfort, but the discomfort is in route to an end, a healing and a different experience. Right, that there's a difference between discomfort and not being safe. And a lot of times that that's very confusing because we feel like this isn't safe now when the truth is, you know, our amygdala is activated, we're having an implicit memory and it feels unsafe. But when we can use, I, I use often the metaphor of this Russian doll. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, the ones the, that are one inside another with tin right. dolls. Right. I actually have one in my office. Nesting dolls. Nesting dolls. Thank you. And that the little young ones, the small ones are activated and are very frightened that they feel like this is an unsafe situation, for example. The little tiny one inside. The little tiny one or even maybe the middle one mm -hmm. or it kind of it depends on where some of our injury may have been. Like if we were teeny tiny or if maybe it had to do with I can be good as long as I'm in your lap, Patty, but if I start disagreeing with you, I begin to panic because I can't differentiate. And so this notion of that the big doll, the one that encompasses all the smaller ones, I think we've talked about this before, but is it live or is it Memorex? Are you really stopping me from individuating and having my own idea and telling you, Patty, I know you're on that, but like, that's really not what I want to talk about. I really want to talk about this. Or do I just, because I feel unsafe that I have to merge with you and not express myself and not differentiate from you. So it's a long way of saying that there's a difference between actual being unsafe versus just being uncomfortable because we're beginning to grow new muscles and try new relational experiences and expressions. Yeah, I guess also an example would be a new muscle is feeling safe and then tapping into your vulnerability. For some people... The actual act of feeling vulnerable, they may go to therapy because they actually want advice. Right. And they want to be like, I'm having this problem. What is your best advice about what I should do? And it can be very difficult to have an experience where someone's really trying to help you turn into your own vulnerability and your own need to sort through something. 
And that in itself could create a sense of frustration, for example, or like, you're doing this to me. Why won't you just tell me what to do? Why can't you, you, you know what you want to say you're holding back. So that's one example I can think of. That I love that example. You know what it makes me think of for sure is like some of us as therapists were, we drawn to this field partly to fix our own families that we couldn't fix. <laughs> so we have our own, everybody has their own unconscious motivation, probably for whatever field you're in. I don't know. But in this case, you know, we want to have these deep relationships. And so somebody comes in, like you're saying, and they just really want career advice or, you know, something specific. What do I do about my child's behavior problem? But sometimes we're like, how does it feel for you to talk to me about this? Or, you know, like I roll. We're, we're trying to do this like deep emotional relational work. And that's a real miss, right? That we really need to tune in to what it is that they're saying that they want. And just if they say they want water, give them water. Don't give them lemonade, right? Right. And all that sort of deep relating that we're so delighted by, (laughs) if they aren't there developmentally, that really disrupts the relationship. So if somebody needs you to be concrete at the beginning of this and give them very specific concrete answers to questions, that's where you need to be. Right. And that that goes back to Anne's point of that sometimes it's the safety itself that can be, or what we think is safe, that is actually create, it's it's too intense. It's too interpersonal at that point. It's too fast sometimes, I think. Well, it's too fast. And I love the point about we want to be really aware when somebody comes into therapy, what is it that they're hoping to get out of it? At the same time, somebody might walk in with a desire for advice, but you as a therapist know or believe that what could really help them game is them finding the advice themselves, right? So that you're the whole process that you really feel strongly that they need to go through this process rather than you sit there and feed them lemonade because they ask for lemonade. However, it's like so important to help that be a relational dynamic where you feel part of the relationship with the therapist instead of feeling like a therapist is leading you no matter what where they want you to go. Well, and that's really hard, especially for young therapists, because we get into this again to be helpful. Oh, yeah. And so we really want to be helpful. So if somebody's saying, what should I do? We often make the mistake of going, well, let me tell you. (laughs) (laughs) And then they go, oh, that's such a great idea. And then we both leave like, oh, I'm such a great therapist. And we've really missed the boat is what you're saying versus if we can hold back and really build the self of the person who's in and like, what should you do? Yeah, what why would you consider that? doing that? Let's well, explore that. Holding back, and Patty, you started with the podcast of talking about the client developing all sorts of different feelings. And I, and I want us to come back to talk even more deeply about that because it's not just only anger and irritation, but it's love and affection. And we'll go more deeply into that. And what we're talking about is what we call in the field countertransference, and that is the therapist's feelings that get brought up as we're talking about this being a bidirectional relationship. So if I come in there and I have this high desire or need to be helpful and to know that I've given you something before you walk out the door or I will feel incompetent, I might then start asserting what I feel you need over and above what's really there in the relationship in, in sort of a counter-transference way. That's exactly right. Are you, are you saying that this isn't about us? <laughs> I was going to say we should tell our, tell our clients we have mothers too. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, and sometimes I will say that actually is, you know, I'm feeling free to give you feedback about what I see and what I notice, 
But guess what? You get to do that for me too. Uh, I have an unconscious as well. (laughs) And we need to be aware of both of what's happening. And so here's the thing, you know, the active listening that everybody teaches. It's like, oh, I hear you saying, Patty, that, you know, you're really mad at that person and blah, blah, blah. And that goes great until you face me. And And I'm mad at you. And then you say, Sue, my therapist, you are not listening, you know, and all of a sudden, my amygdala is going, and I'm like, what do you mean I'm not listening? I've been super helpful to you. What are you talking about? (laughs) So this active listening thing, I think is for the birds. And (laughs) that instead, it's more we're really talking about the depth of co-regulation. These are all themes on this podcast. But also that we see therapy, the three of us see therapy as a very interpersonal dance, that it's not just a neutral therapist and a patient that has all the problems, that whatever's happening in the room, there's probably some piece of it that the therapist might be a part of, and there's some piece of it that the client's a part of, and can we co-construct what's happening and make it, like you said, Patty, work it through so that it's not just a reenactment of something traumatic, but that it's really something healing and growing for the client, a different outcome. And what we're talking about when you get into the idea, you mentioned, Patty, when you first went in and you started having all of these stirred up feelings, whether they were having, you know, a feeling of affection or love or hate or all these things that get developed, it might be helpful. Like that develops in the process, because this is a relationship that you're turning to, that you're relying on. And so it's a very provocative relationship. And so in that sense, and I guess we use the word provocative in all sorts of different ways, but it evokes these things inside of us, like the nesting doll, that that internal process of what happens when I start to get still with somebody in a relationship and start really feeling what goes on inside of me and between us. Right. And I I think if you are not talking about those feelings, they get very confusing because I was capable of loving my therapist, hating my therapist, (laughs) feeling betrayed. I mean, it was just like, it was sort of like a little kaleidoscope that was changing, you know, from week to week. And that was really confusing for me. You know, if we can put the lens on, you know, we've been talking a lot about attachment and things like that, that if the therapy relationship is neutral enough, again, we know it's not perfectly neutral because a therapist non-verbally by their office, by what they respond to, all those things are mutually influencing it. But ultimately, we are both there to, to grow and heal the client. And that's a very unique, deep experience But in that, that is part of what, as you're saying, is so provocative. And then we can begin to see the things that we are beginning to impose. Like if we're on the more of the blue side, the avoidance spectrum, you know, that we're going to begin to, you obviously don't want to be here. Well, you don't want to hear this. And, you know, like we can begin to hear those speaking to as a client. As a client. And versus if we're more on the red side and if our attachment experience is more, on the preoccupied side, or if we've been had hope and disappointment a lot in our life, we'll be very sensitive to disappointment in the therapist. And that's the therapist's job is to begin to listen to those kinds of themes. And again, we're talking about long-term, more psychodynamic, interpersonal therapy. There's a lots of different kinds of therapy. And some of that just depends on the goal of the client as they come in. Right. But I do want to stress that all therapy has a strong relational 
component and that you know they've done all these studies and compared all kinds of therapy and the biggest impact in all of them no matter what kind is the relationship between the client and the therapist so yes you know in more psychodynamic deep work they leverage that specifically and very explicitly but it's going on whether you want it to or not right and and as you tune into it in your body and you're able to talk to your therapist about it, no matter what those emotions are, it's in that process of connecting about it that the healing, and we use the word healing, but it's also just connecting because there's not always an injury to be healed. Sometimes it's just a process to be developed. And it is the where the deepening happens. Right. Well, and my own personal journey with therapy was so meaningful that I went back to school and became a therapist. So when I talk about this was a very important relationship in my life, was and is, you know, it was life-changing. Sounds like it. It's a wonderful experience to share. You know, my thoughts about my own therapy here, you know, just another example there is, this is an incident that happened many, many years ago, but my therapist crossed her legs and she had a uh, price tag of the shoe that was underneath the shoe. So she didn't know it was there, but I could see it. And here's just an example of what happened is like, I felt so embarrassed that I couldn't name it. You know what I mean? Like, it's just the most benign thing in the entire world, right? But it was so informative because I was able to, what I eventually said, you know, like, it was like a pay less thing, you know, right. sticker or something. <laughs> so it's like, I had way too much information with just this tiny little peek at something that she wasn't aware that I was seeing and it was so deep and so rich once I was actually able to like get over myself and be like you know your sticker is showing you know <laughs> kind of like your underwear is showing and it was really really informative about what feelings got stirred up and if you know if there was a fly on the wall and somebody was looking at that it would look so ridiculous but it ended up being very deeply meaningful when you are raised in a family where you can't name what you're seeing, or you can't name the underwear that you're seeing, or you can't name the embarrassing thing that's happening. And you have to almost like erase it or make it not have happened or what have you. But the power then of being able to go, I see your Payless sticker <laughs> on the bottom of your shoe that you can't see. You buy inexpensive shoes. Right. It was, it was like, those are the kinds of silly things, but they become actually quite empowering and it's like pay less sticker pay less sticker. I get to say it <laughs> it's like what's wrong and then you can really begin to play right like is it that you're poor or is it that you're cheap you know <laughs> um what, you know what is it that oftentimes you'll hear from your therapist what do you imagine exactly and, and there's a reason why in therapists maybe we should talk a little bit about that there's a reason why in therapy and of course there's so many different therapeutic styles so we're not speaking about one style fits all and it's so important but in general there's a reason why the therapist's life is not a completely open book for you and that is because it allows you to see the therapist in a way that those things that have happened in your experience come out in the room and right, that it keeps it about you it keeps it about the client and so you know you were mentioning if you're a client that runs on the red, and for those that haven't listened to another podcast, what we would mean by that is somebody who has more of an ambivalent attachment and in that often feels... Or as Stan Tatkin says, the wave. The wave. And has a high need in some ways, like fears rejection. 
and has a high need for acceptance. And if you have that baseline and things are going the way we hope they go in therapy, that's going to start coming out. And that's the rich part. It's a safe person for you to start going. I am so worried the things that I said to you last week are making you judge me. You know, the fear that your therapist is sitting over there judging you as a mess is a huge fear. And if you're in therapy now, think about it. Are you able to talk about your fear of caring too much about what your therapist thinks about you and being able to get in the room? Because as you start to do that, that's the rich part of stepping towards a more secure connection, a more secure relationship by saying, oh my God, if I point out that you have cheap shoes, are you going to hate me? Are you going to think I'm, you know, like I'm so anxious to say that, but if I get to tell you that and work through it, there really is a deeper meaning and meaning that could stretch out to your other relationships. Well, and that really makes me think about when clients meet you outside of the therapy room. And I always (laughs) The sighting in the wild. (laughs) Yes, the sighting in the wild. I always talk about it early on with my clients because I want to say to them, you know, I won't greet you outside of the therapy room unless you greet me first. And if you don't greet me, that's fine. And people will say, oh, of course I'll greet you. Of course I'll say hello. And it's like, that's okay. You can, you know, you might think that, but you just really don't know. And then, you know, they meet you outside and all of a sudden they remember that you know about the friend they're having dinner with or that you know about their sex life and they're there with their partner. And all of a sudden it's very different how they react than what they would have imagined they would have reacted to. So it's another one of those things that seems small. Like, of course, I'm going to wave to you when I see you at Central Market. Well, and it's another source. Like one of the things that that makes me think of, Patty, is like, so that's one is like they anticipate it's going to be comfortable. And then all of a sudden, you know, there's the caught up. But also when we have such deep interpersonal, and it's not with every client, right? Another way that I think of it is like you pay for your session, you pay for your time. But what happens within that time is incredibly unique and different dyad to dyad, therapist to client, even, you know, week to week. But for those that are in more of an immersive experience and really doing kind of some of that deeper work, to have the sighting in the wild can be extremely painful because out here we're not acknowledging each other. And yet at the same time, like it might be the most intimate relationship that someone has so to have to disown it in the world, it can be, it can be very stirring. Yeah. So it's kind of the opposite example of that. Yeah. Of- it's stirring in that sense of, I feel so close and so deeply connected to you. We have this really personal way of relating and now I'm out in the world and we can't just immediately capture that. And we have to see you at a distance and that distance can be the feeling of loss or pain or a reminder in bringing that in can be so important because it can bring so much richness to the relationship in and of itself. Right. And there's something about the nature of the therapy relationship that, so in this example, you know, is it all me? Is it the power differential of the relationship comes up? But one of the things to remember is that most therapists have also reversed this and we've been in the client seat. And so we have the same vulnerable you know, whatever it is that we have to work on, begin. it's the spoon. Like, however, we need this spoon to, to be is also typically happening. 
So there's a lot of empathy around that. We don't want to deny the power difference, but it's not the person. It really is just the seat. If I'm right. sitting in this seat as the therapist, it naturally is going to have a little bit of an up-down relationship, which is positive because many of us haven't been able to rely on someone and not always be looking out for ourselves and not pull ourselves up, but but to be able to depend on someone maybe bigger, stronger uh, wiser, you know, that is looking out for the bigger picture, but we can reverse that. So it's not really us that is holding the power. It's something about the therapeutic relationship that if you allow that to happen, as a matter of fact, one of the things I was doing at one point when I was choosing a therapist was like, I needed to be able to know that I was, that they were smarter, <laughs> that they could handle me, that I would probably compete with them and all of those things. And I knew enough at that point to know you know, you're going to have to be able to hold your own so that I can relax and not be in charge here. Right. And not so feel called to caretake them. Not feel, right. Because I'll be able mm. to pick it up really quickly what you need <laughs> and <laughs> deliver it on a platter. But guess what we've just done is we've just done this role reversal. And so. It's really easy to do that. Yes, yeah. Yes. Yeah. I think that also you're hitting on something that maybe not all listeners actually, depending on whether you've been in therapy or understand the therapy process might not even know. And that is how important a boundary is and why in a therapeutic relationship. And it's about being able to know how incredibly safe you are, because no matter what, like you mentioned, Patty, if you fall in love or you feel you have uh, sexual projections on this, on your therapist, to know that you can openly talk about that and that that boundary, like you were saying, somebody bigger and stronger, no matter what, if that, that person will hold you tight and hold that boundary in this really beautiful, safe way and will never cross it yeah, ever, ho- ho- ever hold you tight. It. And you don't mean hold you tight. Yes. You- <laughs> <laughs> I mean, from their chair, they hold you emotionally tight, but do not fall into the temptation. And, and that can say really hold in that, that sexual relationship will never, ever, ever, ever happen. That romantic relationship will never, ever, ever happen. And the one sign of threat is if there's any chance that that is happening, that is a sign of a threat. That's, I'm really glad, 100%. You, came, I'm glad you came back to that because we're talking about love and deep connection and all these great things. But the way that works is if that therapy frame, we, we as therapists, we talk a lot about frame. If the, the frame, which means time boundaries, space boundaries, we're going to do it in the office. Money boundaries. Money, you've got to pay for your session. Th- these things all... That, make, that makes it a different relationship than any other relationship that you have. And then within that frame, we can talk about anything you want to talk about, but we're not going to then break the frame where that... keep that very safe. That's right. right. Where the, I might want to take you home with me, but I'm not going to actually do it. So it's all thoughts and all feelings, but not action. Right. That's right. And the quick asterisk about this, there are some therapies, somatic therapies and body therapies that part of the frame is very super safe, negotiated, careful touch. That's not necessarily what we're talking about in this setting, but it doesn't mean that if your therapist is negotiating and safely doing some sort of body work or what have you, that those are also can be extremely highly valuable, but you just want to have a very, very solid therapists so that if you were to like it's that same thing like you want to have the bigger stronger other so that you can be the one to be messy and they're the ones that are always keeping the boundary and keeping it safe 
Right. So in closing, all these feelings are acceptable. All these thoughts are acceptable and talk about them. And if your therapist can't handle your feelings, then find a new one. Wait, before, and what I would say to that is talk about it. And before you find a new one, talk to them about finding a new one, right? Exactly. Because a lot of times, like when people come to me and say, you know, this is not working out with my other therapist, I will always say, you need to go talk to your other therapist about that. Uh, I'm not going to just wrap you up and say, oh, we're going to have it better here. Instead, it really, so here's the, here's the what to do with this for you, for everyone listening. If you happen to be in therapy now and you're frustrated or whatever it is, there's, I'm sure there's, I'm positive there's stuff you're not talking about that's about the relationship or maybe even just something about your life. The challenge would be to try to see if you can deepen the therapy. And then also, as you try to do that, then talk about how you feel like that's going with the therapist. So before you fire anybody, (laughs) that we really want you to turn you back, just like in a marital relationship or a romantic relationship or a friendship, turn you back into the relationship and try to work it out. And But what that means is if they're disappointing you, if they're freaking you out, if they are talking too much about themselves, if they're eating lunch in front of you, and if the boundaries are blurry to talk about what that's like for you, because even, you know what, even if you leave the relationship, it's still probably better that in this relationship, you're able to go, I don't like that. I think this is enough for me. And I want to leave and being able to do that in this dignified, deliberate way, you're not running for the door. You're saying, this is not working out for me. And this is why and I can leave because remember the Russian dolls, because you're going to be listening to your younger selves, but your adult self, it has more resources than you ever had as a young child. And you can just like you're saying, Patty, you can terminate the relationship, you can deepen the relationship, you can bring more of yourself into it. Yeah. And I think one of the things, there's so many things that you could deepen into it. And one of the things we haven't tapped on that as you're talking, so it reminds me of is those kind of things that are getting evoked in you. And sometimes what gets evoked in you is, let's for example, a feeling of shame. And we, we haven't talked a lot about shame, but shame is a really big part, very important part of a part our podcast, and we talk a lot about it. And it comes up in the therapeutic hour and in the process of being able, like if you are feeling that or you are feeling like I can't bring something up because my therapist is going to judge me, or maybe your, your therapist has inadvertently lectured you on something because you've evoked something in them, right? 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 Which happens. It, <laughs> totally. And, and I, I've done it. I think most therapists, they get evoked and then you end up doing more finger wagging than you mean to do. And you go home and you go, oh my gosh, right? Like that's just a real dynamic that can happen to bring that in because it is a process of bringing it in instead of if you depend on where you fall on that attachment spectrum to say, I don't like the way she or he handled that. I'm cutting this relationship off. Think about that. Is that how you handle relationships out in the world? It may be because how you try to engage with your relationship with your therapist and even ending it, probably if you stop to look at it could really reflect the, your past relationships. That's super true. You know, a couple of thoughts is one, you know, it's not just that we, bring in our bag of what's wrong and then we're going to fix what's wrong and then I leave. We want to do that. But what actually happens is we enact the bag. (laughs) And so if you can begin to shift your thinking into what's happening in the relationship is probably the most intimate and personal stuff. It's not just, you know, your husband is a jerk. It's also how you're relating to that. You know what I call that, Ian? 
it's like when people begin to bring their shame in or when their heart starts beating and they're like, oh, you know, I'm about to say something. That's the growing edge. And that's where you begin to really develop trust. And if, if that's not happening, you're not working the therapist hard enough. I'm not going to say you're not getting good therapy. It might be that you're on the easy chair and you're not, it's up to you to do that. So if you're too comfortable, if you're too safe, there's probably not a lot of change happening. If you're not feeling feelings, Casalino spoke about this, or at least it was in his book, around that you, you can't be super comfortable and changing. And Bromberg, Phil Bromberg talks about, we want to both stay the same and change. Right. Right. We don't want to change so much that like, oh, who we were isn't okay. But at the same time, if we just are who we are, you know, there's usually a striving and we want to change. So the way what you're looking for is feelings. And so even feelings like shame and stuff like that are, and they're not, it doesn't mean that it's not safe. It probably means you're on the right track. Right. Either you're feeling shame because something's getting invoked or possibly your therapist really has inadvertently engaged in a shame behavior as we do as parents, right? right? You can think about how you want to be such a good parent and all of a sudden to try to keep your child from doing something that you think might hurt them, you shame the crap out of them, right? And you go back, why did I do that? And so by being able to say, God, it's interesting as you say that I'm feeling shame, it so adds to the richness of the connection and it helps it feel bi-directional instead of one way. Yeah. And all of these are constructive and we want to make sure we aren't suggesting that people stay in a relationship that's dangerous or where Absolutely. someone has really violated a boundary. So, you know, yes, tell them why you're leaving. But if it's dangerous, you get to leave. You get to leave. <laughs> Any way you can get out the door. That's right. And so even if uh, the shame thing happens, again, uh, you know, my part of it is uh, you get to this time. Now, in our adult selves, we get to say it. I didn't like that you said that, Anne. You were really finger-waggy last time. And, you know, even if you don't think you were, just the idea that I can come back and complain and tell you I didn't like how you treated me, that's typically really different for many people. Right. And I know, Patty, you were trying to wrap us up, but we got super excited. <laughs> so, uh, because obviously this is near and dear to our hearts. We love, I don't want to, I, I can't speak for us. We love and can't believe this is our profession. And frankly, I can't believe that we get to speak to many, many of you worldwide about this incredible, deep, intimate relationship that we get to form and that many of you have formed or may form in the future with therapists and mental health clinicians and clergy that is just the most beautiful and intimate experience. So continue to send us your questions to ask a therapist because we read them and that's why we just made the decision to talk about this. Sign up for our email list. That's right. And we are continuing an active production of the course on modern adult attachment. Therapistuncensored.eventbrite.com is where you can sign up for that course. And it is taking longer than we expected, but it is, I promise you it's happening. All right. We will see you around the bend. Thank you very much for listening. Therapist Uncensored is Ann Kelly, Patty Olwell, and Sue Marriott. This podcast is edited by Jack Anderson.